This week's episode of Drunk Week in Review is brought to you by the letter L for legal brief, mostly so Cody doesn't get us sued. Anyway, here we go. The views and opinions expressed in this show are solely those of the host and do not reflect the official policy or position of the host employers. Any content provided by our host is their opinion and is not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, entity, individual, or anyone or anything. Enjoy the show, y'all. Welcome back, everybody, to your favorite shit show podcast where we are going to get all of the facts wrong and hopefully entertain you along the way. This week, Aaron and I are both coming off vacation. So, actually, Aaron's still on vacation. I am off vacation. Um, still on vacation and still doing errands and chores, just so you know. Um, my day has been nonstop. But I did drink some afternoon beers. Ooh. So. Day beers are always good. Day drinking yeah. is fun. I, I took the dogs on a a mini scale Batan Death March. They're both passed out at my feel at my feet right now, but they walked a total of like six miles today, and they are assed out. Goodness gracious! Um, wow, I I'm just slammed with work right now, trying to catch up. It's always hard leaving and then coming back. Um, especially because I'm very adamant about I don't answer my phone on leave for anybody I work with except for my commander and my first sergeant. And, like, I monitor the group chats that I'm in, but I don't respond to anything unless I have to step in and just be like, no, 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 stop everything. This is about to be a major issue. So it's always really hard (laughs) coming back and trying to figure out where we're at. I feel it. There's a part of me that, like, tomorrow – I'm going to, if I have time or if I want to make time, I'll check my email and see if there's anything I can do. But, um, yeah, you know, the the big piece of news on my end is that um, while I did sign out on leave. Um, sign out on leave. I love it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I can't get it out of my head. I'll, I'll tell you how it went last week. So Wednesday was my last day working last week. I woke up on Thursday, walked the dogs first thing in the morning, went and did a kick-ass workout uh, on the bike got home, showered, walked the dogs again, realized it was about 11 a.m. So I got dressed and I took the bus to Seattle to go to work. (laughs) So I got to work and my boss is like, what the fuck are you doing here? I'm like, "Uh, doing whatever I want. And he goes, why can't you be here during the normal work week? And I was like, oh, because of time? Yeah. Uh, So, you know... uh, (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's a pain in the ass to go up there and I was trying to just be like show some goodwill go up there hang out shake everybody's hand get a tour of the office because I know everybody's super excited about it and it's downtown Seattle so it kind of sucks but like whatever you know yeah that's uh I actually used to do that when I was in Germany that I would have time off but because I was in Germany and for the first uh, about a year and a half, two years I was living there. I didn't have a vehicle. Um, I didn't need one because post was, uh, God, there was two roads that ran like north, south Bamberg. Yeah. It was two roads that ran north, south. Um, and I think it was like two and a half, two and a half miles. If you ran all the way out to the training area and came back. 
you might get to like three or something like that. So I walked everywhere and it was absolutely fine. But on my days off, um, I would sneak in, I would go into work and I had my own office and I would just shut the door and turn my music and I'd be there in, you know, just regular normal people clothes. And I just shut the door and work. And finally my, uh, my first Sergeant told me, it's like, Hey man, you can't, he goes, I'm going to stop giving you time off if you're going to come in to work. I was like, oh, but I'm not here. And he goes, you are physically here. I, I can hear you through your door and your music. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I'm not answering my phone or doing anything like that. He goes, next time you come into work on your day off, I'm going to send you home, make you shave and put a uniform on and still count it as your day off. And I'm going to make you actually be at work. If you're, I was like, all right, fine, whatever. That was when I like, that's when I was super motivated and cared a whole lot. <laughs> and nowadays, um, I I still care a whole lot, but I have learned that that's just bad because I was burning out and I was I'd burn out super hard. I was burning out like every six of months. your own success. Uh, that was um that was a big term that I I heard when I was growing up in the army where guys would work really hard and they did really well, but um as soon as you know, you were a hot shit, you know, sergeant, staff sergeant, or sergeant first class. They would move you up into much more difficult roles and really just, like, pummel you with work. Um, well, I mean, you got the Army saying, but I think it's true in every job that, um, yeah. you know, if you're if you're really good at your job, then you get to do everybody else's job, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, yeah, I think... I got so good at doing my job that they're like, oh, man, you're really good at doing yours, and these people are really bad, so do you think you could be really do good at doing yours and theirs? <laughs> like, I wish it was a question and not, like, a statement. <laughs> you will do good at this yeah, because that's usually what it is. Like, um, hey, you're really good at managing uh, 35 personnel, so we're just going to go ahead and we're going to also make you a rep for the company, and you'll be in charge of 120 personnel. Um, and you will do great at it. And you're like, but you, I mean, uh, I think you really see that in like even in corporate in America, mm -hmm. where where you're really good at doing your your position, and your boss is mediocre at his because he or she or they cannot multitask everything, and so you kind of take over some aspects of your boss's job behind the scenes. With the understanding that your boss is like, yeah, man, I'll I'll help you out. You know, I'll, I'll let you, I'll cut you out a little early here or there. Or I'll be a little more lenient when you ask for time off or shit like that. And then corporate finds out, and your boss is, oh no, no, no we've got it handled. And so your boss is going, hey, just continue to do my parts of the job. I can't call you a manager, but I, I want you to do all the manager stuff. But you're not going to get manager pay, manager entitlements, the respect of that. Until they can fire the manager, or the manager gets hired, promoted, and you take up that position. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Boy, it's it's right. Like right you, now. but it's also fun because that person who takes all your credit, they get to the next level, and they can't even do the base task because they aren't sufficient at their tasks at the one level down, and then they can see how bad it is. Uh, so, how's your week been going? With all that, uh, my know, week is super mind. hectic. But let me tell you about the ten, eight days prior to that because it was amazing. Uh, so yeah, I, I flew out. That. I flew out to um, Vermont. Well, actually, I flew into Boston Logan. Uh, 
And then Caitlin came, picked me up in Boston and drove up to Vermont. It's about two and a half hour drive, two hour drive, something like that. I didn't really, I forget that all those little tiny states up there are super, super, super close. Um, and that was on the 2019th, uh, flew out on the 19th. Um, shit, something like that. Uh, and we, on the way from Boston up to Vermont, uh, we stop and have lunch in Massachusetts. And I'm, I, I, I'm very, I like visiting new state or Massachusetts. We stopped and had lunch in New Hampshire, um, in Grantham, New Hampshire. I actually got to watch some of the Little League World Series that day during lunch. It was great. But I'm very conscious about, like, the states I visit. And I go, oh, I've never been to New Hampshire before. But I'm also kind of like, well, does it count if all I did was drive through the state, stop, and have lunch there? I go, no, that doesn't really count. So then we go up to Vermont. Um, I got to hang out with one of her good high school friends that night. Uh, I heard I got to listen to about how he cooks brisket. Um and that was really cool sharing brisket recipes. Yeah, Any the, uh, or? the times and how I was telling him to cook was for my briskets. And I forget when I'm up there, because I forget when I'm up there, that brisket in that area is, is this holy piece of meat because of how expensive it is. You're talking for me to, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do, if I'm going to cook, if I'm going to, you know, smoke a brisket for a group of people. I'm inviting eight to 10 people over because it's hard to find a brisket that's less than like 12 pounds. So I'm doing 12 to 15 pound briskets. So either me and another person are eating a brisket for the next four days, lunch and dinner, or I can invite eight to 10 people over and we can kill a 12 to 15 pound brisket. No problem. Is there a case of beer ratio to like your when I'm cooking or drinking? Ratio? Like, am I am I? Uh, uh, so if I I'm actually answer both questions, if I'm cooking it, I go about a beer an hour. I legitimately go about a beer an hour that I'm cooking it. Just not because you got to remember that I'm also starting okay. at three okay. to four a.m. So I don't want to be absolutely wrecked by the time this thing's done. Yeah, but you're also like yellow bellies or yeah. Lone Star I, I mean, I'm doing right? a full American lager, just. You know, whatever that is, the the four percent or five percent beer. Um, so no, no. Yeah. I'm not trying to kill anybody here, but also, you know, what's more American than That's barbecue? Right. In a um, so I'm talking with this guy, and he's going, "Man, that's a really long time." Because I'm telling him that uh, my on the pit I use back home, it's damn near a science that it's at ten hours. About 10 hours, give or take 30 minutes, and it's usually like give another 30 or take another 30 minutes. It's going to be like 10 and a half um, that my brisket's ready. And he goes, I, are you serious? Mine's like four to five hours. I go, how hot are you cooking it? And he's like, well, I'm cooking it at 220, da, da, da. And then it come to find out this dude's paying 80 to $100 for five-pound briskets. <laughs> I'm going, oh, that would be the discrepancy. So, yeah, when they cook it up there, they are taking out a small personal loan to cook a five-pound brisket so they don't get, like, the practice I do where I just go buy a 12-pound brisket, and I'm pissed off because it's three fifty a pound, and I'm paying I'm paying f- almost $50 for a fucking brisket for 12 pounds, and he's paying 
I think it's got to be like between eight and, yeah. and eleven dollars. Yeah, and a pound but are you getting here. twelve, fifteen pound briskets, or are you getting five and sixes? Uh, you know, I think we could get that size. We okay. we have a, a pretty yeah. Good it's just it. Anyways, really good conversation with him. Uh, the next day, Sunday, we went out to um, this awesome little radio show uh, that was a bluegrass festival, and it was at somebody's farm on the top of a mountain there. Uh, did find I did learn that I thought Vermont is very mountainous, and indeed it is very mountainous, but their tallest peak um, is less than half the height of Texas's tallest peak. <laughs> um so there meters or feet what do you got uh mount mansfield is 4393 feet um oh my god that's laughable and the guadalupe peak in texas is 8750 you're like you can get to the top of that mountain in vermont and you'd be like suck it i was in colorado springs bitch yeah so I mean, it was really cool. I learned I learned a whole bunch. Um, th- oh, that's awesome! I was up there during a heat wave for them uh, because we were ahead. I was up there the week that tropical storm slash hurricane um, Henri and whatever it was before that E F G whatever the G one was that hit. Like mm-hmm. I was up there ahead of that, so we got this weird low pressure system, and it was like in the eighties all week and it was super hot um when i went up there two weeks ago it had been like late uh, mid 60s at night something like that it was dropping down into the high 40s uh beautiful absolutely beautiful state the reason i mentioned new hampshire is because throughout the week we kept driving to go places um, and i got to see so many incredible awesome 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 places beautiful state i want to summer up there i now understand what it looks like to be rich and white because we drove by all those houses um but like we had we went in um i had lunch uh, a block from dartmouth um it's in hanover new hampshire which is about oh, i'm familiar yeah which is yeah. which is like a 25 minute drive from her folks place her folks are almost dead center of vermont and to get to new hampshire was like a 30 minute drive so oh that's so cool dude. i was in new hampshire every day every other day doing something uh so i can now say i've been to vermont and new hampshire because how many times i went to new hampshire i was like i visited i did a lot there uh went up to lake lake champlain uh one day in burlington lake champlain's gorgeous i could see new york from where i was standing um you can look across the lake and see the edge of new york and then to cap it all off i i had uh, i got amazing seats i was I, th- I was letter k so whatever that is a b c d e f g h i j k i was 11 rows from third base watching my rangers lose to the red Sox uh at fenway park and we were within walking distance um we were within walking distance to fenway from our hotel uh we had an ama- we found this amazing restaurant called the famous toast or the friendly toast the friendly toast if you're ever in boston go check out the friendly toast one of the best menus i've ever seen one of the two of the best meals i've ever had because i went there twice do me a favor make sure that you post a picture of that on the gram you know if you had a picture of your dinner tag the restaurant and then we'll move on yeah or or, or and then it'll be sealed 
in our historic archive of our Insta. Yeah. Uh, so highly recommend, and then I flew back Saturday ahead of the tropical storm, or was tropical storm before it hit. Uh, Caitlin's parents got, they own a, like, Airbnb out on Cape Cod, and mm. they got stuck out there for three days because the governor of Massachusetts basically shut the bridge down going back and forth because of the tropical storm. But it was awesome. A much-needed vacation. Beautiful state. Can't wait to go back. Good. Good. That's awesome. Um, you were on vacation. Talk about your camping trip. This is going to be a very long episode, so let's go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> hey, um, I haven't signed out on PTO since February. I took some time off for a funeral and um, like a couple of weird like half days, but I uh, really haven't taken any time off. Um and just with how busy things were through June and July, it was it was great to finally unplug. I again I got to go up to the office, which was really um, just a practice dry run for me to go uh, use um, Puget Sound public transportation, get up there, figure out how to get to the office, and then get back home. Uh, apart from that, you know, uh, my girlfriend and I we went up uh, to Bellingham. We found this. Airbnb for $35 a night and it was camping and so we camped behind this defunct uh, dairy farm and uh, you know we like set up camp uh, hung out um, drank some some wine and had some dinner Uh, the next day we went out did a little bit exploring went to Birch Bay which is just miles from the Canadian border it was beautiful you could walk out you know a quarter mile half mile on the beach because the tide was so low um, now is Canada is Canada still shut down? Can you know, I, I'm not really sure. We came back from the trip, and you know, we were like having a beer yesterday, and um, somebody kind of tapped us on the shoulder and reminded us that uh, the mask mandate was back on. Yeah, we had no idea. Mask, so, uh, mask mandates uh, back hey, on uh, here. Hey, big news, guys! Mask mandate. Please wear them. Uh, I don't like the rules, but uh, we have to follow them. So you know. There's my public service message. Um, at any rate, um, yeah. So, so Canada must have been like 30 or 40 miles away in uh, from Birch Bay. Um, later that night, we got back to the campsite and uh, you know had a couple sandwiches, and then, um, dude, I, I haven't been to a farm in so long. And that night, we we got a little we got a little tipsy, and we just. We we basically just went and played fucking hide and seek on a farm, you know, oh, like that's great. running through, um, running through the barn, which is really scary when it's really fucking dark out, you know. Um, we danced silently uh, uh, under a bunch of lights. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I've never done that before. Uh, there was a cornfield next door, and you know, like I'm I'm ripping my weed pen. I'm like, hey babe, want to go pretend like it's signs? Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like, we had so much fun. Um, towards the end of it, I did get a little paranoid from, like, the weed and booze because there was, like, there's a burn ban, and across the farm field, you could see that somebody else or there was somebody, period, having a fire. And I just, if you go and feel the grass and you just kind of look at anything, you can tell that it's, like, everything. Anything that is green is now a tinderbox. Really? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's that, so that, dry up here, dude. That it makes is sense. So dry. That absolutely makes sense. Um, 
And we've talked about this, but wouldn't this normally be like afternoon rain season kind of for y'all? Not necessarily. Um, for for us to hit the temperatures that we're hitting, this is this is not normal. Uh, the temperatures that we're hitting are kind of indicative of like your southeast or your southwest. Okay. And we're not. We don't have the infrastructure to. One, yeah. make it comfortable for humans, and then two, make sure that it's safe. Because uh, air conditioning is really great for people that are infirm or elderly, right? So, or or do you have the water infrastructure um, to make sure that everything is irrigated, including your grass yeah, and the, your trees? That's a big. That's a that's a big thing too. Is making sure that I mean, you see that a lot in. Like California, because the wildfire burns or the wildfires tend to happen uh, within a month or so of them going through drought season, which is, you know, it's kind of that vicious cycle. So my girlfriend's having kind of like she needs like five minutes of alone time. And I'm uh, I'm standing on the edge of the barn farm situation and, you know, I can see an eighth of a mile away. There is a fire and I can see the embers flying up in the air, and I'd smoked just enough pot that I was, like, good and twisted. Um, I took it easy on the booze because I I don't want to be too cross-baited, but I just need to be cross-baited enough. And I felt so bad because my girlfriend kind of just needed to, like, decompress. Her brother passed away back in May. Um, it's still very real for her, and I had to tap her on the shoulders like, look, I care about everything that you're going through right now. But right now, I'm concerned with our physical safety. And with this whole area, it feels like a tinderbox. It was, it was very nerve-wracking for me. So, you know, I'd go lay down in the tent to go to bed starting at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And then I would get up and then go do a lap around the whole farm to just see if there was any embers that had fallen anywhere because it was so, like... It's so dry. The wind it really picked up. Um, there, it was really overcast, so you think it's going to rain, but the rain never came. So I was just like, it was very on edge. And this is your kind of like quintessential classic tragedy waiting to happen, where it's like you're in the Pacific Northwest. It's high summer, the dog days of summer, and um, a young couple uh, on vacation notices that uh, a campsite next to them has had a fire and the fire has embers and they have been drinking and they're not paying attention to it. It it very much was turning into one of those situations for me. So I was very um, vigilant. And I, I, I finally got to bed and, you know, of course, here we are. Uh, no harm, no foul. But, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm old enough to have some respect for for the wildfire season around here. So um, we got to Woodenville on Sunday. Now for Sunday, we were supposed to hit the Airbnb, go wine tasting, and then come back home on Monday. Well, we got to Woodenville. We went wine tasting because the, the listing wasn't ready. Okay. We got back good and, good and twisted from a bottle of wine, maybe two bottles of wine. Uh, several different wineries and uh, oh 
one of them was JM Wineries, by the way. Oh, I bet it was really dry and bitter. <laughs> I would say that it was full flavored, which is weird because I don't ever want to think about you like that. Um, uh, so so we got back, we, like take a nap. We wake up from like this like drunk afternoon haze, and we're like, um, "This Airbnb kind of sucks. You just want to go home." So we just went home Sunday night, unloaded the whole car truck, and then uh, you know yesterday was just like doing laundry. Yeah, you get you're trying reset. to reset. Uh, my girlfriend. Went back to work today. Um, I'm still on vacation, so I'm still like, you know, fucking off doing the the honey do list. Well, so making sure the dogs are washed. And she and you know, y'all are li- on the table. Y'all whatever. are living together now, right? Yeah. So we are. Congratulations on that. Big, it's a lot of fun. Man. Big steps. Big steps. It's what, a lot of fun. So other than other fun. than when you were married, uh, is this the first time you've lived like lived permanently with somebody? Yeah, it is. Um, That's what I was thinking. I was thinking this was the first time you've actually like li- like moved it's the in. The first time I've asked somebody to live with me, uh, you know, other than like, you know, buddy, hey man, do you need to find a place to live because you can live with me? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like this is like you're like um, a couple months ago. We sat down, we talked about, it, and I was like, you know, I don't want this to come off weird, and I know this is all very new, but. Um, if it means anything, I trust you enough and I care about you enough to say that you seem like the type of person that it would be a very good arrangement for the two of us. There's no pressure. I don't want this to be a financial incentive for you. I just want this to be something that makes sense for you. And so, you know, um, we're shack up honeys, I guess. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's cool. It's good. It's a lot of fun. Uh, quick five minutes between the two of us. What are you drinking? What are you listening to? Uh, so I'm not listening to anything. Um, my cycling playlist and then Drunk Weekend Reviews playlist, which I haven't added anything no, to. No, you have not. There's, uh, there's such a big discrepancy between like the country, folk, Americana, and then the fucking hardcore yeah, yeah, like, yeah. puke metal so that I don't know what to add to. You it. just add whatever so, you're listening to. All right. Like whatever your favorite. You had that uh, you had that rapper who came out a few weeks ago that you Rashad, really liked. Yeah. Right, right. Throw that shit on there. I Okay. I'll add something there. Um so yeah, I'm listening to our uh, your guys' playlist until I add something and then it'll be ours. Um I'm reading I'm rereading Black Hawk Down cuz I found it for $3 at the bookstore. I have nothing to do. I'm I'm on vacation, man. I can read whatever fuck I want. Um this guy that I follow on Instagram happens to be one of the the Delta Force guys. So like, he's in the book, and he they name him uh, Brad Howlings. I I think it's cool. He started his own distillery out there in Southern Pines. What? So hey, yeah. So, I mean, like small world oh, and like a Delta. You know, for his a, a, a prior service special operations guy creating a coffee company slash t shirt company slash beer company slash distillery, distillery slash movie company slash sticker company slash Be fucking original, veterans. Do better. <laughs> I, I don't think we can. I think we like what we like, you know? Yeah, I know. Unless you find a veteran that's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make, like, sex toys, and I'm going to make them with, like, AR-15s or something. Black Rifle Dildo <laughs> Company. <laughs> there you go, Matt Best. Fuck you. Go make dildos. Did I ever tell you I read his his biography, his auto? 
thank you for my service. Yeah. Uh, How bad was it? So I finished it in about two hours, like front to back. Uh, it may have well may as well have been written in crayon, um, and it was one giant dick joke. The entire like every five pages was a like a dick joke or a fart joke. Uh, I'm rereading not just Black Hawk Down but also like the Rusty Bradley's account of the battle at Spurwangar, um, the 2006 or 2007 like Panjway operation. In Kandahar? Yeah. And it's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad, dude. The writing is? Yeah, but it's also like whoever helped write him it, you know, write it is... It's probably some veteran-owned, some veteran-owned brewer. <laughs> Brewery who's like, yeah, I can also publish it. <laughs> it has to be. But also, like, it, w- it was a very violent operation, so he's trying to capture the sense of it and, like, sense of, like, what it was like to have camaraderie with my ODA. Uh, fuck it, man. Like, I'm glad that you wrote a book. You know, that's cool. Like, everybody was a hero in his book. Yeah. And I like that. And, you know, he gets to reference, like, uh, people I knew from growing up, like um, Sergeant Major retired uh, Brendan O'Connor. He was a, a friend of mine's dad. And he used to come to, like, watch our punk rock concerts. And, and you know, Mr. O'Connor, I remember him as a, I think he was a sergeant first class. He was a, a distinguished service cross recipient for um, an operation at Panjway. So, uh, you know, there's stuff like that, and I think that's cool. But also, that's just kind of like my tactical operations, military history. Like, uh, that's what I gravitate towards um, when I when I have free time. Uh, what about you? Are you listening to anything? Are you reading anything cool? Um I am, so I've been bouncing back and forth between like three different uh, albums. The new Mike and the Moon Pies is absolutely incredible. Uh, The new Slaughter to Prevail album is absolutely incredible too. And then I am trying to convince myself that I like the new Sturgill Simpson album uh, because it's a concept album. I just, I need to give it another one or two listens through to really get how I feel about it. Um... Reading, I am, I'm, I've got one book I've been trying to finish for like a month now, and I just, I just, I don't know. Like, I, it's a really good book, and every time I pick it up to read it, I fall asleep within like twenty minutes. Um, and I've only got like one hundred and fifty pages left, and then I'm going to start Dune because I need to read Dune before the movie comes out. I tried to read Dune when I was in Afghanistan, and that one put me to sleep. Um, but my girlfriend and I are reading together. We're we're reading Watership Down. Um, That's a good one about the killer bunnies. Right. Uh, but there's also a really great movie where John Hurt is one of the voice actors. You're talking about the one from like the 70s or 90s or 80s or whatever it is? Yeah. I, I mean, I watched that movie once a quarter. It's I think it's really good. 1978, yeah. Something that I watched a lot or a book that I read a lot when I was a kid. And then, you know. I never really lost a, a liking for it. So awesome! I, we read it out loud, you know, a couple times a week. Oh, that is have a glass of wine. That is sickly sweet. That is disgusting. Are you puking yet? Almost. So, um, did you see that Jonathan called me out for having shitty segways? Yeah, he did. I loved it. 
<laughs> I absolutely loved it. And so, because Jonathan called you out about having shitty segues, uh, well, now that we've mentioned segue, I can't even just like do a natural segue into it. But you mentioned you mentioned <laughs> your childhood, and you mentioned um, uh, Panjway. Is that what you said? Uh, yeah. You mentioned Panjway, and I don't know. I think everybody could have guessed exactly what we're talking about this week uh, because it's been all over the news. Now, um, I want to go back before we before we like really scrape into it. Can I get your broad stroke? Like, how do you feel about the withdrawal from Afghanistan? And then we can talk about the news, or do you want to talk about the news and then talk about how we feel about it? Like, what makes the most sense? Well, where is okay? So on. July 13th, we published the episode Third Rate Romance, The Withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, and some Slip w- out like a limp dick. Uh, yeah. Wait, what? The Olympic? Sorry, man. <laughs> when we first became friends, you used to like look at me and be like, we were, we'd be leaving the office. And you're like, all right, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's slip out like a limp yeah, dick. Yeah, I'm going to slide out like a limp. Time to slide out like a limp dick. There you go. That's what it is. So I'm hoping this gets some cross plays because now we can – people need to go back and listen to the, at least this portion. But, uh, yeah, Third Rate Romance, The Withdrawal from Afghanistan. In there, I mentioned my thoughts on this, which uh, I think we published as part of our story and all of that, which is if the withdrawal from Afghanistan goes poorly, President Biden will be hammered for his complete lack of plan and da-da-da-da-da and whatever. Biden, 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 the Democrats, the communists, the socialists are doing this all wrong. We never should have left. If it went according to plan and went well, Trump will get credit for it. Well, what happened two weeks ago? (laughs) It all went to absolute shit. All I've seen is the president getting hammered. He's not doing himself any favors, too. Like, every time he opens his mouth about Afghanistan, he continues to, like, fuck himself. Yeah. But also, when this initially started turning into the catastrophe that we know as as it is now, um, as it was evolving, I remember last week thinking, the shame of this whole situation is, is there's a lot of people that were created by our by the invasion of Afghanistan, there's a lot of people that were going to be refugees. Yes. Well, and it's been going on for four for with for, for God damn it, I'm exhausted. It's been going on not just us, but the Russians did it, the British Empire did it. You know, there's it's happened so many times that every time we every time a country withdraws, they just leave it in an absolute wreck, and then somebody's going to be the next great white savior who goes over there and fixes the country. Right. Uh, but also, I, I just remember thinking this is going to be, this is not, the, the problem in the United States for the withdrawal is not going to be about, you know, the Western imperialist. The issue is going to be political. And one side or the other will go ahead and just, uh, you know, paint the room with uh, Biden's and his cabinet's blood. You know, like it's it's super easy. Like they they mucked it up, and 
but I don't think it's that simple. I don't think it is. Um, we have – you can't escape this. Is there anybody that we can blame here to that we know of? I mean, like well, Biden is just inheriting a 20-year problem. 20-year? No, this is – this is a 100-year problem, and it begins in 1921 with the British. Uh, well, I'll call it a 30-year problem if you want to go back to the Cold War, so let's keep it in contemporary terms. Well, right? well but I think you need to set the stage for everything. Um, it, because it goes... It, it, to me, it starts with Rambo when he's in Afghanistan. <laughs> um, so I did see a very good NPR article Um Withdrawing from Afghanistan may be the one thing Biden and Trump agree on. Written 18 August 2021 at 5 a.m. Eastern Time. At least that's when it's published. That's the byline date on it. Um, there is... I don't know. There's not, We are not going to say anything on this podcast that people are not... Shouldn't already know. Because this is, this is not some... You know, one of those things like the Uyghurs that... Is kind of it's happening, but it's we're looking for it, and we're doing a lot of research, but it's not being covered nationally, internationally, um, to this extent. I don't. I think our our listeners, I think the listeners out there, are intelligent enough and well read enough, and keep up with enough of current events that they understand what is happening. Um, that we don't really need to describe what is happening other than we'll use it in context for what we're talking about. But the, the Trump administration says we're withdrawing May, May 1st, 2021. Biden pushes it back to September 1st. So he kicked the can down the road just a little bit, but he didn't kick it down the road four years like president Trump did. He didn't kick it down the road eight years like President Obama did. And he didn't start it for eight years like President Bush did. He, in fact, and I was, I'm was i very proud of him for at least doing something that he said he was going to do. If nothing else, he said, I'm going to withdraw from Afghanistan. And guess what? He withdrew from Afghanistan. Yeah, it's a catastrophe. Um, but he did it, and he's owning... I will give him that he is owning the consequences of this, too, because he's like, yep, I stand by my decision. This is unfortunate. We've uh, He's authorized commercial airlines to help withdraw uh, people from Afghanistan. It, it's, a, it's an absolute nightmare. But it, it, he made the decision. He made the decision. He made a campaign promise, and guess what he did? He, with, he upheld a campaign promise. Um, and a major campaign promise that we've been hearing for this would be nine years now between President Obama's second term, President Trump's term, and now President Biden's first year. We've heard, bring our, we're bringing our boys home. This is the Vietnam War cry all over again. Yeah. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting is when you kind of look at the whole uh, spectrum of history. Who was in power, and what does that really mean for twenty years of um, the war on terror in Afghanistan? And and something that kind of struck me, and it should be very obvious, but it really it, it surprised me is how many presidents oversaw 
this huge conflict that were uh, Republicans. You have George W. Bush, and then you have uh, President Trump. You have eight years of the Obama administration. You have, what are we at, 12 months of eight months of eight of, of of Joe January six he's confirmed. Oh, okay. So, January so eight months. January what? Sixteenth uh, or nineteenth he's inaugurated. So seven months. Um. But there's this trickle down effect that that also struck me that there was never really any sort of concrete plan, and when you go back and you kind of look at what the um, what the media was reporting as of 10 years ago where there wasn't a cohesive idea on how we were supposed to solve this conundrum. Afghanistan, one, is landlocked. Two, it's surrounded by countries that don't really agree on all these borders because the borders were created 100 years ago. Legitimately 100 years ago. Uh, uh, United States arbitrarily, not according to their own specification, or to their tribal affiliation. Yeah. So in 1921, the British, uh, the British are defeated in Third British Afghan, the Third British Afghan War, 1919 to 1921. This is the third time that white people went in there and tried to fix the Middle East. And Afghanistan becomes an independent nation. Concerned that Afghanistan has fallen uh, behind the rest of the world, um, Amir Khan begins a rigorous campaign of socioeconomic reform. In 1934, the United States formally recognizes Afghanistan as an independent nation. What year? 1934. 12 years or 13 years after Afghanistan declares itself an independent nation, after whipping the British's ass for the third time. There's a an anecdote where it's like somebody had made it home from Afghanistan because it was a long forced march. Can you imagine a long forced march back to somewhere where you had a port of call as an infantryman in the Imperial British Army? Yeah, well, because it's a port of call, so now you have to get into the um, oh god, it was it? You have to get into the it's not the Mediterranean. There, it's um. God, they had to get to Pakistan, or they had to get to, like Turkey. I I don't know where they had. to So go you have to get you have to get escape. the Arabian Sea. You either have to get you have to go through Pakistan, or you have to go through Iran down to the Arabian Sea, the Gulf of uh the Persian Gulf, effectively, or or your ass has to march through Turkmenistan, uh, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and then. Oh, by the way, at some point you're going to have to get all the way over to the Baltic to try to navigate navigate the Nordic lands over there. So yeah, you you have spent however many years or however long sailing from the UK. Uh, is the Suez Canal open at this point? No, Suez Canal uh, was in the late forties or the fifties. Yeah. So you are sailing. From the United Kingdom, all around Africa, you got to go around Cape Horn, um, and then up through the Arabian, and you're landing in Pakistan, or modern day Pakistan, or modern day Iran, whoever's going to be friendly to you, um, and then you are forced marched into Afghanistan to get your ship pushed in, and then you're going to force march back out to that same port 
hopefully you haven't pissed anybody off. Oh no, 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 they didn't. They didn't because guess where, guess where Britain is in 1921. They're still in India. Okay, I see what you're driving at. So they don't have to port. All they have to do is all they have to do is cross over Pakistan in, back into India. And now so you're neighbors. And now you're just like neighbors. Fallout. Yeah. What do you find to be some of the biggest key issues right now when we talk about U.S. withdrawal? So uh, we made the joke. I made the joke back in uh, – I put up the poll on the Instagram back in July about this. And I said, now that we're uh, withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, what country needs democracy installed next? Um, and I think – I don't know. Am I kind of roundabout answering your question here? That I think that's the biggest problem is we have to get – we have to get our minds – away from the mindset of installing democracy around the world, um, installing governments that are favorable to us, and learn to work with governments that do not, maybe don't align with a uh, representative republic that we have. Uh, but we need to be able to figure out how to work with monarchies. Uh, well, let me ask you this. What would you say to people that want to talk about... Um American isolationism versus um, low-intensity, high-conflict areas of interest. Well, let's. So there, there's this, there's this department under the DoD where it's low-intensity low um, conflict areas, and it, it is, it is a branch of the DoD that talks about special operations because special operations typically handles this kind of kind of thing where it's like there are these places where conflict will arise in it uh in in one way or another I don't know how is a threat to um the American way of life so what do you see as being kind of like a, a big key issue here? Well, uh, I want to respond to the phrase isolationism that you use there. Because... Is think, that even think, something that we can even talk about anymore? Well, or are we so globalized that it's... Well, we think of, we think of isolationism um, with two wars. Uh, it, it, without, without knowing what you know now, Tell me about American isolationism leading into the Great War and American isolationism. Isolationism. All right, Cody. Yeah, no, fuck me. This is ridiculous. Uh, tell me what you know from your growing up history about isolationism leading into the Great War and World War II. Well, it was dis disrupted. It was disrupted um, for World War One. Um, with the sinking of the Lusitania. Okay, the sinking of Lusitania. And then how is it disrupted going into World War II? Uh, well, in World War II, there What draws there us in, What draws us into the war? From your growing... Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. That's what draws us up. We are isolationists. I, yeah. We are 
by ourselves, secluded from the world, saying, not our continent, not our problem, until the Lusitania sunk and until Pearl Harbor happens. American isolationism is a myth. I'm gonna, I, I will say it. So I will speak World War II um, just because I really, God, I want video of Cody listening to this part and then smashing his phone to pieces when I screw up some of these facts. Yeah, but he can't yell about anything because he'll wake up the twins and then their sleep schedule will be off. Correct. So ha, 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 dude. the war in Afghanistan or the war in Europe is raging on well before Pearl Harbor is bombed. America is sending steel to Spain to support the Spanish revolt during World War II. They're supp- we say that we're isolationist, isolationist because we are not actively involved. We don't have boots on ground. But the fact is, is we are still supporting war efforts. We have picked a side and we are sending money to people. The the term that, oh, well, we didn't get, or, you know, these thoughts that we didn't get involved until we were forced to get involved is for people who who paid attention in sixth grade world history and then kind of made it limp through high school history and whatever their base history class was in college. Um, if that. There is... We, we have never not taken a side. We did it in Venezuela. We did it in Cuba. We've done it in Europe before we entered World War II. We give money to maybe Israel. I don't know. We sell planes to Greece. Uh, we are in Turkey. We are not. We are not by ourselves on a global stage. We are. We are not. We have determined that we can fix the world's problem because, like any great band, who releases their very first single and their very first single goes quadruple platinum and their first album goes diamond, and they go on a world tour for a year. And then they never do anything again. They spend the rest of their careers trying to recreate that success. So America releases its first single in 1776 and goes triple platinum by declaring its independence and creating a nation. And then it has spent every year after that trying to recreate the success of starting a nation by entering all these wars. Now, yeah, we win World War One. Well, the Allies win World War One. We won World War Two. Well, the Allies world win World War Two, and we barely, we can barely even claim a a portion of success over in the Asian campaign if it wasn't for the Australians, if it wasn't for the Chinese, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for all of Southeast Asia bailing us out all the time. Plus. They're not having to worry about Russia because Russia's helping us out on the East Front in Germany. Um, the Canadians, the Canadians are revered in Europe. 
for what they did and what they liberated and the amount of time or the amount of places that they recovered. The British are revered over there for being constantly just decimated and still having the perseverance to go through and do this. Yeah, we what did we bring what did we bring over? We broke we brought over a huge GDP, our money and said we can fix this with money and troops. Uh, but we are a small factor of the winning percentage when you look at what it is. And so what happens when we get into shit like Vietnam and then go, oh, well, I mean, we won all these other wars. There's no way we're going to lose this one. You get into Korea, we won all these other wars. There's no way we're going to lose this one. And then you have a second... You have a second hit single out when you take when you when Iraq falls and God what was that like two weeks, um, and you go we can recreate this in Afghanistan too. Hashtag twenty years later, people are falling off planes trying to get out of an airport we left in the middle of the night. So is this a blunder? It's hubris. Hubris. Tubers. We what's we won many battles, but we lost the war. You know, I had a platoon leader when I was in Iraq um, that knew very. He was smart enough to know that this would be the last um, major brigade rotation for Iraqi freedom, um, a George Bush uh, war era war on terror operation. <clears throat> and the platoon leader used to say to me, you know, the Iraqis know better than anybody else. They're just here to play for keeps. He said it constantly. These people are here to play for keeps. This is their home. And by the time I'd gotten to Afghanistan, I was disillusioned enough to know that, oh, disillusioned, informed enough to know that they were playing for keeps for as much as for as much good as you want to do the whole strategic picture down to the tactical level seemed to not really line up tactical operations weren't synced between uh, SOCOM and uh, CENTCOM nor was there a cohesive strategy between the DOD and um, our nation-building partners, uh, USAID. So there's this lack of comprehensive strategy for how to solve this big problem. And unfortunately, now we're left with this tragedy, this conundrum, And it's turned into a political smearing campaign. But people's lives are at stake here. So how do I feel about this? I just never thought I'd ever live um, in my lifetime to see something as tragic as um, the retreat from Hanoi or the fallout of the Vietnam War. I never thought that I'd live in my generation through something as tragic as um, 
the American loss of uh, the Vietnam War. Yeah, and well, and and, and and for so many different reasons too. I mean, and again, tactically speaking, I think that um, the U.S. forces conducted themselves admirably on on so many different occasions. There were so many violent operations that happened over the course of the last twenty years, but for for what. I don't know. Um, have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that uh, clip or one? Do you know the show, The Newsroom? Yeah. Okay. You know the clip, um, the Jeff Daniels clip, and it's called that from episode one, season one. Uh, it it where he loses his shit. No, this is the this is the one for I don't know what episode it is. Uh, but this is the episode called, I forget what it's called, uh, but the clip is the America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Do you know that clip? I do. Okay. So I don't need to, pl- do, do I need to play it or is it still like worth listening to? Let's go ahead and, and uh, post that to our page. Okay. So don't, don't insert it into the episode. I think we should. Let You know what? Please. Okay. Hold on a second. So... And just for our listeners, uh, Aaron Sorkin wrote this TV show. I think it was two or three seasons long, and it was on HBO. Yeah, this episode came out uh, in 2012. So it's Jeff Daniels' is the principal lead character. It's kind of like your Anderson Cooper or Tom Brokaw. Yeah. All right. So I love the fact that I know how to do this better now, so I'm going to insert it. So give me a second. And go ahead. Hi. My name is Jenny, I'm a sophomore, and this is for all three of you. Can you say in one sentence or less what... <laughs> um, you know what I mean. Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, the New York Jets. <laughs> No, I'm going to hold you to an answer on that. What makes America the greatest country in the world? Well, Lewis and Sharon said it. Diversity and opportunity and freedom and freedom. I'm not letting you go back to the airport without answering the question. Well, our Constitution is a masterpiece. James Madison was a genius. The Declaration of Independence is, for me, the single greatest piece of American writing. You don't look satisfied. One's a set of laws and the other's a declaration of war. I want a human moment from you. What about the people? Why is America Not the greatest greatest country in the world, Professor. That's my answer. You're saying yes. You're... Let's talk about fine. The... Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. 
If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yeah, you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Yeah, I think that sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. By the way, I haven't been to Yosemite, but uh, would love to go. Uh, the <laughs> every time I hear that, and that's from episode one, that's season one, and every time I hear it, like... Because it's true. Because it's true. and it, We are not the greatest country in the world, but we, we still pretend to be. And that's how we end up in situations where you have dogmatic leaders with a cult fan base who praise the ground you walk, walk on that don't recognize what they mean when they say America is the greatest country in the world because of freedom and liberties and because of the Second Amendment. Um, now... Those stats are from 2012, and those stats were real in 2011, 2012. They're a little bit different now, except for those three that he le he he mentioned that America still leads. We still lead the world in defense spending. Uh, we still lead the world in amount of uh, population incarcerated per capita. We lead. Do you think there's something kind of funny to like bridge a gap there, where it's like right below us is like Russia, right? Russia leading in defense spending and incarceration. Jam's fact checking me right now. Um I I hope I'm right. Oh, I hope I'm right. No, China's next. Oh. Well Russia's number four. Um India's number three, but only because they're try trying not to get fucking nuked by Pakistan. Your top, your top 10, what is this, top 15? So we, in 2020, defense, highest military spending in the world in 2020, we lead with 778. Okay, now give me a second here because I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some math, but I'm going to use a calculator because my, my brain nuggets aren't working super well today. Um, and I've been known to screw up lots of math here. So we lead at 7078. So let's see how many countries it took in 2020, Donald Trump's final year of presidency, to figure out how many people are be, are going to take to. 
So China at 252. India at 72.9. Still not there. Russia at 61.7. Still not there. Uh, UK at 59.2. Still not there. Saudi Arabia at 57.5. Still not there. Germany at 52.8. Still not there. We're up to six countries. 52.7 for France. We're still not there. That's seven. Japan at 49.1. Not quite. South Korea at 45.7, uh, not there yet. Italy at 20 28.9, not there yet. Australia at 27.5, 27.5, still not there yet. And Canada at 22.8, puts us over the threshold at 783.4 billion. So that took... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That took eleven countries to beat our spending in defense. India is an ally. UK is an ally. Germany is an ally. France is an ally. Japan is an ally. South Korea is an ally. Italy is an ally. Australia is an ally. Eight of those eleven are allies. I don't think we're war allies with China, are we? No. And we are damn sure not war allies with Russia. Uh, no. I, th- I don't know that we're allies with Saudi other than trade. We're allied with Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So nine of the 11 countries are allies. If you took away China's defense budget, we still have to get through Israel and Brazil. We'd have to make up another $252 billion to see what we outspend our allies with. So what do you think, like, the big issue with defense budget spending is? Is it just to see who has the biggest dick, or... No, no, it's this is this is pork and barrel spending. Uh, are you familiar with the phrase? That's a familiar with that term. All right. <sighs> pork and barrel legislation. Also, just uh, the other thing that I just learned about today was the Texas sheet cake. You familiar? Like the recipe? Uh, buddy, you tell me. No. Uh, I'll look okay. I'll look it up here in a second. But pork barrel legislation or pork is a metaphor for the appropriation of government spending for localized projects secure, secured solely or primarily to bring money to a representative's district. Right. The usage or, or originated in American English. But that's that's what defense spending is. Defense spending is not the taxpayers. The taxpayers are absolutely paying for this. But who's getting rich off of this? Lockheed. Contractors, man. Lockheed. Uh, Boeing. uh, General Dynamics. General Dynamics. Sikorsky. AMD. If you don't think they're making computer chips for this shit. Raytheon. If you don't think Raytheon's involved in this very heavily. um, Then... It's just ridiculous. Um, that's where, that's where defense, that's where the defense budget is coming through. Um, but this all goes back. We've we've kind of sidetracked on this, but this all goes back to your question that you asked me about. What do I think, or how do I think that this happened, or what I can't, what what do I think leads to this? And I, it is American hubris that we believe that our dicks are better, bigger, 
and harder than everybody else's because we defeated a colonialist nation in 1776. And we still have pictures of George Washington crossing the Delaware hanging in every living room across America next to a picture, you know, mom's apple pie recipe and a bottle of Jack Daniels with a AR-15 stuck in the corner. What are you worried about with this fallout? Or is this something that's going to just kind of sit in history books? Because I don't know. Yeah, as, you're, the, as, you're the Afghanistan as, as, I'm veteran. A, I'm a service member veteran now. You're the right? Afghanistan of, of the, veteran. You're the Afghanistan war veteran. What are you I worried about? I don't, I don't hinge my experience on anything because I have the benefit of having been to Afghanistan but have left with no scars. Yeah, but what are you worried about? Uh, having been there, having interacted with the people, having seen the way the fragile economy was already barely propped up with American funding, some semblance of training of any kind of enforcement of democratic ideals, what are you worried about with... Taliban rule or do we even fucking care that the Taliban is over there because we're America and fuck it that's not our people for the past 20 years we've been calling them you know just I almost said it all kinds of racial slurs that you can think of we've been calling them hell you even had the you had the guy uh, in the Olympics you had the German cycling chief yeah um, I know you had so for 20 years Everybody that is other, meaning everybody that is not a white American, we have been using racial slurs. The crimes, the crimes on people who are even perceived as Middle Eastern following two thousand, uh, following nine eleven, because they happen to be brown and didn't speak English, were absurd. What are you worried about as the fallout from this? I don't want this to be, this conflict to be set as a precedent. Now, 20 years is a long time, and I don't think anybody had an idea or, an in, or if, if somebody had an idea that it was going to last this long, then I think it's criminal that they didn't speak up sooner. But uh, I just I don't want this to happen again. I don't want there to be another Vietnam. I don't want there to be another Iraq, and I don't want there to be another Afghanistan. But the problem that I'm seeing now is that with every American conflict, we kind of dig ourselves into this rabbit hole and you know I think the Black Hawk Down incident is a very great um, example of what we thought was going to be a very clear objective to solve a problem in a region. Yeah how hard is it you take out one guy in a building with a couple tier one assets it's Somalia they're not, they're not evolved people over there. We are the superior American army with our, with our rifles and with our MH-60 kilos and with special operations unit at different tiers. And we can fix this. It's one dude. How hard is that? Osama bin Laden was just one guy. We killed him in 2011. How fucking hard is it to win a war? Yeah, but I mean, like, we'd been hunting him for 30, 20, 25 years. You mean after we installed him and gave him the training and educated him and... I mean, like, as soon as the, you know, as the U.S. 
designated him as a as a threat. I mean, like it took twenty twenty five years. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking after he was educated, after we gave him the funding to build his militia to fight the dirty commies, after we supplied him with the munitions required. Well, Bin Laden's kind of an interesting character, and in a lot of ways I, I respect him because his whole spiel was, um, I'm a rich kid, and I'm going to forego my rich kid lifestyle to just wage war on behalf of my religion. Or, on, in his words, on my faith. Good for him. He's God, I mean, he was like, pragmatic, oh, right? Man, like, what what better cause to go go to war for than, than your, your conviction? Yeah, and he's Saudi. He comes from... Saudi money. He's big money, yeah. Um, construction family. Um, at any rate, uh, what I don't want to see is this happen again. What I would also like to see is I'd like to, I'd like to there be uh, some legislation that pulls Afghans out. I think that there should be some sort of negotiation with uh, the Taliban. Because they're going to be the government, they are. Yeah, absolutely. Now, they own that country. And you're you're seeing some. You're seeing some resistance forces, and hell, the Afghani population has put up more resistance than the thirty tr- or the how, however many trillions of dollars thirty trillion in twenty years. Is that what we spent over there? Let me. I'll look up that number here in a second. Um, but you, the Afghani nation has spent. Um, or has done more in the last about 72 hours. Now, we're recording this on the 24th of August. Um, they've done more in like these last 72 hours to retake cities and retake provinces claimed by the Taliban than any of the Afghani, um, the ANA, has done in... <laughs> fucking the three years or five years um uh, it's god i'm so fucking frustrated uh yeah the united states has spent 83 billion dollars equipping and paying for afghanistan's security forces since 2001 i think if you looked at that it's going to be very parabolic and most of that 83 billion has been spent in the last five years since we said we are training we're getting ready for withdrawal really fun um, documentary that I think kind of captures uh, the hubris and the God you can see the tragedy in this documentary as well it's like um, Ben Anderson is a reporter that did a documentary titled This Is What Winning Looks Like Okay. And in 2011, 2012, he goes to southern Afghanistan, maybe southwest Afghanistan, um, and he gets embedded with the Marines in what it was like to work with the ANA, the Afghan National Army, and the Afghan National Police, and fight with um, uh, Taliban, uh, quote-unquote, insurgents. Um, But what a Herculean effort it was to get them to one just fucking do anything right much less make meaningful change 
and that that documentary was 2011 2012 and i think it is a huge piece of foreshadow for where we're at now um i think we should probably tag it and, and post it because like you know for as, as confused as the public is right now i can't say that i didn't see it coming i saw it coming the entire time the same way that i knew that when i left Iraq on the last patrol with second ID in 2010 I knew this was some some bullshit like people would be back eventually and in a lot of ways I'm I'm happy and I'm proud of being a volunteer to go overseas but I find that it's pretty meaningless no it's not what troubles me more is that i never saw anything that was so violent that would warp my view i i i have nothing but just sort of like there there has been good things no so I've been very critical of this, and I've been very critical of this, but I'm I'm being very critical of the government. The the people that went over there across let's go let's just go through some numbers. Um so the human cost the American service members killed in Afghanistan through April of this year has been two thousand four hundred and forty eight. Um it's a lot of people. Ten people is a lot of people. One person is a lot of person. That's a lot of people to lose. Anytime we lose somebody for an ideal, um, it, it's it's monumental. Uh, we've lost... That's service members. Now, these are people who signed up like Aaron did, like I did, like everybody has for the past 300 years of... 250 years of America um, have signed up to fight for a cause or fi- signed up to do something that either they believed in, they had some tie into, or they weren't opposed to. Because there's plenty of people out, there's plenty of people past and present, and there will be plenty of people in the future who signed up that were apathetic to the cause, um, but they weren't against it. You know, it's it's a lie by omission kind of thing. I didn't lie, I just didn't tell you the truth. Um you also have another 3,846 U.S. contractors. Now, U.S. contractors is a little... Um, that number can be a little that weird. That number seems a little harder to track down because some of those people will be like... Some of those people are employed by the State Department or the CIA, but some of them are... Yeah. Some of them are laborers for... You know, Raytheon, General Dynamics, of course. Some of them are active duty service members who happen to belong to Tier 1 assets who are not allowed to be there anyway. Yes, some of those those contractors are going to be active duty military members who are Tier 1 assets, such as Delta Force, such as your uh, Marine Raiders, people that are fighting in civilian clothes. And they are deemed contractors because they're not identified as American soldiers or American service members over there. Um, You've also had, oh, here's a fun one. Um, Quick math. 
well, we'll use round numbers: thirty-eight fifty for contractors, twenty-four fifty for service members, sixty-three hundred, sixty-three hundred United States citizens, sixty-six thousand Afghan national military and police, sixty-six thousand Afghan national military and police. It has cost the lives of eleven hundred forty-four NATO members. It's cost the lives of forty-seven thousand two hundred and forty-five Afghan civilians. But don't worry, y'all, because we killed fifty-one thousand one hundred and ninety-one opposition fighters, to include Taliban. We've lost four hundred forty-four aid workers and seventy-two journalists. Now, there are good things. Um, there has been a 50% drop in, inf in infant mortality rates since U.S., ANA, and allied forces have overthrown the um, have overthrown the Taliban government. 50% increase in or decrease in infant mortality rates. That's incredible. On top of that, 30% of Afghan teenage girls are able to read today. A country which restricts the education of females. 30% of the female population, teenage female population, is able to read today. Since the overthrow of the government. That only helps the world. Would you agree? I'd agree. Cool. Uh, it's, cost us, uh, it's cost us $2 trillion. Uh, estimated cost by 2050 with interest is going to be 6.5 trillion. In the Korean War, the top tax percentage was so 92. Let's pretend like that. Uh, this is a business equation. Do we get our return on investment? No, no, absolutely not. What did? What was the? What was? <laughs> what was the mission? The mission was to eradicate Bin Laden. The mission was, was it Bin Laden or was it to eradicate the Taliban and dismantle it? Was it was Bin Laden. It was Bin Laden. And then after we got him and we're still getting beat up, mission goes, well, we just got to get rid of the Taliban. Cool. So we... I think we subdue it. I mean, um, under Obama was to push the Taliban back as far as possible. Yeah, and then what? And then what is that? Use the coin model. What coin means? Counterintelligence operations. Do the nation building? Go ahead. What was that? Uh, coin means counterintelligence operations. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, so the coin model, which I th I think is brilliant, uh, which uh, is no longer used today. We do not use the coin model. Oh. That's not what we use anymore. Uh, counterinsurgency, not uh, not counterintelligence. Counterinsurgency operation. Um, yeah, so the United States doesn't use coin anymore. We stopped using coin. What do we use? Uh, I'll ha oh, no, we flee. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, we stopped using coin in a uh, fucking like, year or two ago. They changed it. It's It's hearts and minds. We don't do hearts and minds anymore. We are a nation-building state. So I think two years ago, we moved over from coin to nation-building. Coin didn't work in the first place. I mean, like, one of the things that we talked about, like, 
in our um, it, it doesn't apply because I I don't think of Afghanistan as being in the Middle East, but um, when you talk about areas that the United States has done a lot of uh, interdiction in, the coin model a great is word, by the way. to go in, um, be friends with everybody, build schools in order to build intelligence networks in order to find the bad guys. So you like, you're basically like doing some nation building so that you can find the people that don't want to do. Yeah. You um, U.S. version of nation building. Yeah, it's counter and take them out from it. Yeah, it's the true counter insurgency because this is not a because we have not been fighting a uniformed a uniformed opposition. We don't know who the opposition is. We don't know who we're fighting. So you you find intelligence and you run a counter insurgency. Uh, you brought up a really good you brought up a really good um, point a second ago because you mentioned the um, during President Obama's um, presidency. Uh, you and I were both in Korea at the same time. Do you remember 2014, 2015, after we have really suppressed... 2014, 2015, we are really suppressing the shit out of the Taliban. They are... We're starting nation building. What happens then? Do you remember who takes over? No. The Revenant. ISIL, ISIS. Oh right, okay, okay. So there was the um, the Syria, Syria, Iraq, Iraq thing. Yep. Because we have withdrawn. Uh, we've been out of Iraq for three years at this point. Uh, two years at this point. Two to three, and we've left it to its own devices with its free elections and its people running it. Um, we have toppled Saddam Hussein. We have brought down the statue. We have stood on our boat in San Diego Harbor or wherever Bush was at and said and declared victory. Uh, and two to three years later, you have ISIL, ISIS, the Revenant. And they spread across Syria and Iraq like wildfire, taking over city Providence after city and Providence. The Taliban didn't even have to wait that long. The Taliban were within weeks of the withdrawal. United States came out and said, we're leaving, and cities started to fall immediately. So where do you think we're going wrong with this whole model of trying to, one, defend American interests, two exact revenge when uh, 25 Americans die on September 11th. Where are we going wrong in this whole model? Or or does it start before September 11th? Does it start before the George Bush? Does it start before the Bill Clinton? Where does this problem start? In, is there an end? Or are we going to be mowing the grass much like Obama said to Petraeus um, during his tenure as uh, commander-in-chief, where it's like, are we just going to be mowing the grass on the war on terror? Um, used a... Used a... Um, wh what do they call it? 
um, officers have words for them. All those like little phrases and little uh, what do they call them? Uh, fucking. Uh, it's all that's. It's all those like little catchy quips and little words that that single you know, I get annoyed sometimes when my boss looks at me and he goes in full transparency yeah. all those all those like little just catchphrases and shit like that that senior level executives love to use well you just used one so you said american interest so i think what we're doing wrong is america has the wrong interest america's interest is in oil power and technology it is not in people education and the welfare of its citizens if america was concerned about the welfare of its citizens like every candidate has said they have been since god since the end of World War II, since we went to Korea, if every politician who said they were concerned about the welfare of their citizens was actually con- was actually concerned about it, then they wouldn't be spending trillions of dollars uh, of the citizens' money to fund a war that we didn't want. The tragic loss of life on September 11th is exactly that. It's 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 tragic. Um, they're talking about a major foreign foreign uh, just horror atrocity committed on American soil that cost a huge amount of lives, and so. What better way to honor the loss of life on September 11th, 2011 than going to war for the next 20 years and putting America further into debt, decreasing the ability to pay for health care, to pay for education, to improve the morale outside of these 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 vapid <laughs> exposés by politicians on why America is so great that's that's where i see that american interests are absolutely misaligned um if they were if american interests were aligned with what they espoused to be fighting for, we would not have cost 66,000 lives of the people we are fighting for when we only killed 51,000 of the bad guys. Do you think it's odd that, like, even in this metric, that we haven't even begun to talk about where there's been a discrepancy in the special immigration visa policy where there are people that were contracted by the United States to just do defense work but they weren't allowed to come over to the United States in the first place. Like uh, the classic case of the interpreter. Well, kick that. I think it's insane that we haven't like adopted like a policy to get these people here sooner. Well, kick that, kick that all the way back to world war two. 
when you have Oppenheimer saying, I have become death after he creates the atomic bomb. Because who did we who did yes. who did we bring over? We brought over people who could help win the war, but only so far as they were useful to help us win the war. We brought over enough people to make the Manhattan Project exist. How many people did we're over there giving steel and giving product to Western Europe? How many people I'm did we you real quick? Yeah. Uh, because you and I, I think. Our value, our values are very much in line, and I think that um, you and I are not far off from the mark where our political values also lie. Are policymakers just looking to nickel and dime everything in the short term, but not look at the larger ramifications of Big defense operations, um, big conflicts. Uh, what are we missing right now? I don't know. Do politicians who have been in office since we were in Vietnam still need to be in office? No. So where do you think their interests lie? Making sure that they get a really big gravestone? Yeah, making sure that they get reelected and making sure that they're conducting... No, they get a big gravestone. That's what they want. Yeah. So it, like, it's no I'm longer concerned it's with like uh, cementing some sort of lifestyle for myself and my and and who I choose to associate with. But also, I'm young, right? So I I've got like thirty to forty years, God willing, more than that, where I can make an impact on my local community, an elected official. Well, now they just now we're just getting into the meaning of life because all we're doing is just kicking ball, kicking Jesus the ball down the road, Christ. right? This is such a this is a rabbit fucking hole, dude. Yeah, because all we're doing now is we're just kicking the ball down the road. Because I just want to leave a better life for my kids, so they can leave a better life for their kids, so they can leave a better life for their kids. So eventually, when the sun explodes, and and they get choked by plastic before the sun explodes, maybe. Yeah, yeah, you know it before before the Earth consumes itself. That whoever my 10th generation or 50th generation or 150th generation spawn is has enough money that they can die in their heated jacuzzi in the atmosphere or we've made enough space movement that now we can just go destroy Mars and start right. war over there. The, you know what? What's our catchphrase? What, what is the podcast catchphrase? We not me. Yeah, we not me, and that—that's the—that's the problem with when what you're talking about with the politician is. This is all right. Where's Cody at? Here, here, here's where I'm gonna get myself into trouble. Arguably, the only people who can say that they are doing a we not me job is the president, because he's the only one with fucking term limits. Your Supreme Court justices, they're elected for life till they step down or die. Your your House and your Senate are elected until they're voted out. So you get shitheads like Strom Thurmond in there. 
Matt Gates. Well, Matt Gates is Matt Gates is like a second or third term. I think he's a sophomore. You get okay, okay, okay. You get Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's a freshman. But then you have Bernie Sanders, and uh, you know what? I may lose some brownie points here with our listeners, but fucking Bernie's been in for how many fucking years? He's he's arguably one of the good ones, but he's still been in for fifty fucking years. Um. That's that's. I mean, I think that's some of the discordance there. Let's let's tie some loose ends over here. What are we missing when it talk when when it comes to withdrawing from Afghanistan and and slipping out like a limp dick? Like like what are we missing in this huge fucking conundrum? Um, it, it's a nightmare for for the politicians right now. It's a great smearing campaign. Oh, it is a nightmare for anybody that was um, anti-Taliban. Well, uh, I mean, to the point... People are clinging to the sides of planes like you were talking about. Um, well, to the point that uh, Afghan, uh, uh, the Taliban came out today at 7.30 Eastern time and said they were not, al- in quotes not allowing the evacuation of Afghans anymore, and warned that the U.S. must stick to next week's deadline to pull out. Period. There's still, there's still troops over there. What do you think happens September 1st when our troops are still over there? When our contractors are still over there? It is all-out war. We are about to see... We are about to see... We're about to see the uh, Tehran embassy incident again. You're about to see uh, Benghazi all over again where we have people holed up fighting to just stay alive until somebody can get from somewhere to get them across a border. I think there's so much visibility on what's going on with this uh, deteriorating moment right now that I don't believe that that will happen. But I, I think there's a lot of merit to what you're talking about. They've already started assassinating. They've already started executions. You 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 are aware of that, right? No. Last I was watching was just Al Jazeera this morning. I mean, like I, I. So the United Nations has has. Um, Received harrowing and credible reports of human rights abuses by the, including the summary execution of civilians. Already. Already. Five days ago, Taliban responsible for brutal massacre of Hazara men from Amnesty International. Afghans tell of executions, forced marriages, and Taliban held provinces. That was August 12th. Afghanistan reports of torture and, contradict, uh, and killing contradict Taliban's five days ago. Four days ago, video shows Taliban blindfolding and executing top cop. I don't think it's 
I don't think if we're not out there by September 1st, you don't see an all-out war on remaining individuals. I think, I think the United States government has had seven months to prepare for this. I don't think President Biden woke up one morning and said, fuck it, take everybody out. There's no way. Hell, to go to a training exercise for two weeks takes six months of planning. He was inaugurated in January. You think we're withdrawing? You think we're withdrawing a $770 billion defense contract out of a foreign country in seven months if it takes six months of planning to go to the field for two weeks? And that's to take. And, and that's to I take. Mean, that's just based off of how much of like equipment that was left behind. I mean, just munitions, and then you know. I think that's why. Blackhawks. I think that's why so much is left behind because they made a hasty withdrawal. Hasty withdrawal. I have a two-word or a two-syllable word for that. Retreat. That's the one. I think that enough was not. I think enough was not done by the previous um, administration to prepare for a May 1st withdrawal, thinking that they were going to win a second term and could kick the can further down the road. And so when the second term is lost, there was no preparations made, and he handed them a wet blanket in a tropical storm and said, I don't know if you can figure out how to get it dry. It may keep you, it, it may help you for a little while. Here's an umbrella with holes in it. Um, as long as you avoid the drips in this hurricane, you should be fine. And then I don't think the current administration took it serious because we were hearing rumors of it at my level in April and May. We were hearing rumors of withdrawal in April or May. But we have been told to stay there all the way through November. Two months past the deadline. Well, look, we're getting deep into the episode. Um, I'm kind of curious. Do you have closing thoughts on this what I've made I've missed anything I have I don't think I've missed anything other than just like vocalizing my disappointment in this situation (laughs) I'll say it again I'm very proud to have a president who regardless of the party affiliation who is actually sitting in that office I, I would have clapped my hands for President Trump if he ran on the promise that we are going to withdraw and he withdrew. So, I will praise the current administration for sticking to a campaign promise. God knows we need more politicians who stick to a campaign promise. Where are we at for student debt? Who knows? Where are we at for education? Who fucking knows? Infrastructure is coming away, though. Yeah. Uh, coming along. In fact, I got a notice, notic- uh, notification today that they signed a $3.5 trillion 
think a three point five trillion dollar um, okay. bipartisan bipartisan thing, uh, bipartisan deal. Um, so I'll, I'll thank the Trump administration for uh, getting the talks rolling, and uh, the Biden administration for making it happen. Yeah, and I'll give all credit due. The Trump administration started this. They put the deadline in place. They were able to broker a peace deal, which is incredible. They were able to broker a peace deal between insurgent forces and the United States forces. Not NATO, but United States forces. They were able to broker that peace deal. Um, And I will give them full credit because anything we can do to save 18 and 19-year-old kids' lives who can't afford to go to college who can't or don't want to go to college or whatever the case may be, who are just trying to escape, you know, BFE, pick a state, uh, who are trying to better themselves in one capacity or the other. Yeah, fly over state like Vermont. <laughs> I was thinking like middle of I know what you were Ohio thinking. or Montana or Utah or Idaho or something like that. Buddy, give me some good moves. Come on. Well, no, hold on a second, because I need to hear your closing thoughts on this, because I, I think we did a very good job of, we, we know what the situation is. Yeah, it's a is. fucking quagmire. How many times have you read a book by a Medal of Honor recipient? None, because I don't them. fucking, oh, no, I, I did. you don't like them. I did. I've read most of them. It's a fucking quagmire. Um, When my dad came home from his first deployment in Afghanistan, he was not the same person, and I no longer have a relationship with him. Now, I won't blame the war for that, but it was definitely a catalyst for something. I have nothing good to say about the whole thing. And I went to war to find out what it was all about, and I found out nothing other than what I wanted was right here at home. My family and my friends, because guess what? I don't know those Afghans. My interpreters, I'm sure they saved my life. And I want my interpreters here. I want my interpreters from Iraq here as well. It's a fucking quagmire. If you look at the numbers on a sheet for how much we spent. Two trillion. For what we fucking got. We got nothing. And you know what? They got nothing too. Because the whole country was overrun inside of 10 days. They've lost 100,000. So what was it all fucking for? Between civilians and military police so officials, they've lost 100,000 people. They have lost double the amount. Double the amount of people than enemy forces have lost. So what was it for? So where do we go? What do we do from here? I, my answer is we nation build. But what nation do we build? We build ours. Because we've now saddled two generations working on a third one with an insurmountable debt. We, we nation build here. The current model that we are working at right now and this is the model, the Cold War model, has not worked since it started. It didn't work in Korea. It didn't work in Vietnam. 
didn't work in South America, and it didn't work in the Middle East. And now we're in the Far East, where a nation that we waged war has touched China. The current model that we now operate on a defense budget no longer benefits uh, the American people, much less, I think, uh, benefit those of our um, allies or those of the occupying nation. Well, and if you don't think this has... And I think a, a thing that people often forget about is, like, for as much as we, as we like to praise the Rangers at Point du Hoc, do you know what happened in Normandy and in France after the Allied nation, uh, Allied forces hit? Is there was... Are you talking when the... Rampant uh, transmission of the of STDs because um, Allied forces raped their way across, across Europe. Yeah. I thought you were going to go. But we got Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan to tell us that it was a completely honorable war and that this was really good. But Well, because history is written by the winners. I thought when you said Rangers, I thought you were going to go to the point where the Rangers are hunkered down in a mortared out beach and the general is walking by him and say, who are you with? And they go, we're with the 75th Rangers. And he goes, well, God damn it, Rangers, lead the way. And they go, oh, well, I guess we are the first and foremost. We should probably do something. Well, I won't blame those guys. Those guys were brand new. They didn't know what was going on, and war is scary. So. They're Rangers. (laughs) And not Texas Rangers. I expect my Texas Rangers to lose. (laughs) (laughs) That was a rough series against. That was still last week, by the way. Yeah, I, I watched us play the uh, the A's earlier when I was walking the dogs. I walked the dogs to the bar. Terry's office tavern is two miles away, and now that I'm like on vacation, I can go ride my bike for hour, hour and a half in the morning, and then walk the dogs down to the bar about lunch to go watch baseball or just drink beer. I did talk to the other people. I did watch an incredible. Oh, who did I watch y'all play the other day? Um, so we'll get, we'll get into good news um, now here in a second. But this is really good, and I wanted to text you. Um, I watched Seattle play. I watched Seattle play Houston. I watched Seattle play Houston on Sunday. Did you see that game? No, no Sunday. I was uh, okay. So I watched Seattle play Houston on Sunday. And Seattle was, because the Rangers were supposed to be playing Boston, and they were uh, postponed because of the hurricane. And I watched them play, and they were down 3-1 until the top of the ninth inning. They were at Houston. Two run home run with two outs remaining ties the game. Close out the ninth. And we're talking, they close out the ninth. Bases loaded, no outs. Bases loaded against the Houston Astros, no outs. Kendall Graveman pitching 
for Houston since he's been traded against his former club gives up the game-tying home run. (laughs) Seattle's new closer takes it to extras, at which point Seattle is 11 and 4 in extra innings and Houston is 5 and 6 in Houston in extra innings. Seattle comes back to score 3 in the top of the 10th to take it to 6 to 3. Runners on second and third. One out or no outs. Nobody scores. Houston, uh, Seattle walks away against the Houston Astros 6 to 3. After losing game one, three to 12, after losing game two, one to 15, they take Houston with an ex- with a demolished bullpen. Seattle has no bullpen left, takes them to six and three and wins in awesome. I was a little fashion. bummed because um, I, I caught the end of the, the game today with the the A's. Um, one of my favorite I, I want thing the, to, to watch is I want the A's. I want the A's to win the AOS this year, so I'm I'm rooting for them. Well, the thing I'm bummed about is my favorite part about watching a baseball game is actually like um, the interviews and Scott Service. I think he's fantastic. I love Scott, I love Scott so yeah, much. Yeah, he's cool. Plus, y'all have an Aussie who does your pregame, <laughs> and I love listening to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I. I I know who you're talking about. I don't remember his name, but um, yeah, you sent me the. Uh, you, I'll find it here in a second because you sent me a text because I sent you a text. I was like, "Who the fuck is the Aussie that is doing y'all's pregame stuff?" Um, and his name is Ryan Roland Smith. Ryan Smith. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you ready for some good news? Please. All right, Scarlett Harper. So. Title on CBS Evening Evening News, updated August 18th, 2021. Scarlett Harper is fearless, especially when it comes to bees. This 11-year-old Illinois resident learned that bees in her neighborhood were being wiped out by mosquito pesticides and launched a campaign to save them. She helped create the Bee Bill. In Illinois, it's House Bill 3118 with State Representative Robin Gable. It aims to restrict mosquito control pesticides that can be lethal to bees. Uh, Quick fun fact, Aaron. What is one of the best natural alternatives to bees? They're flying. They're furry. They're blind and hang upside down. Bats. Bats. Get a mosquito problem? Put a bat house up. Bats love mosquitoes and will eat the shit out of them. Uh, the bill made it out of the state's Energy Environment Committee with a unanimous 29-0 to zero vote. Now, this is just the committee. Uh, it's still got to get through the House floor and all that stuff. Uh, but this is going to end up on the legislation, uh, the docket in Illinois now. Uh, their bees are the key to the environment. Uh, when you see the death of a bee population, you see the death of ecosystems in that area. Uh, between their pollination efforts, between the environmental diversity they bring. Um, where the bees die, the environment dies. 
very quickly. The local flora and fauna do not faunish. Or uh, yeah, we just need bees to like kind of come shot everything. <laughs> just little pollen splooges everywhere. Just instead or, of skeet, or it's skeet, like skeet, you know, it's like bees beep, like beep, to beep. get or something. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw some. I saw a really cute photo the other day of this uh, giant, big, fat bumblebee who got tired, so tired from flying uh, from, uh, from from flower to flower, or come that it had on its face. Yeah. So this this huge fat bumblebee is just racked out in this flower, taking a little bee nap <laughs> in the middle of its little pollination efforts all day long, bringing stuff back to the hive. Um, the bees pollinate a third of our food supply. These little assholes that y'all are killing pollinate one third of our food supply. Kill mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. I don't know. That is a creation by Satan. Um, I don't know what the fuck else mosquitoes are good for other than to give us West Nile virus and Zika uh, and Zika and make me fucking miserable every time I'm trying to enjoy a summer evening. Um, dope. 11 years old. What were you doing at 11 years old to help the world, Aaron? I wasn't saving bees. I think I was skateboarding. Oh, I was playing I, baseball. I was trying to be a Rangers recruit. Uh, something, something equally as stupid. And juvenile. Absolutely. Good for you, Scarlet. Good for you. Um, we've already done our closing thoughts. Anything to add before I get into socials? Claus mm, did take that week off, so he's probably not number 700 anymore. Fucking figure it out, Collis. We don't back losers on this. We only back America's because we're the best in the world. That's right. So if you don't want to be... by you our conflict in Afghanistan and Iraq and... It, Syria and Somalia and Indonesia and Vietnam and Ukraine and you know what? Oh, anyway, call anyway. Us, so so call us. Call, no, yeah, call us. Uh, this is what I will say: that if you are content with being number seven hundred in the world and just giving up on whatever you have decided to do. Let us know. Just send us an email at drunkweekinreview at gmail.com and we will send you a custom white flag to wave in the air and you can go be French. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> so, if number 700 is good for you, that's cool. We'll have a French listener because I, I'll buy your plane ticket to France. I will help pay for your uh, visa to move to France and just, and just quit. That's cool. 700. Pathetic. All right. Uh, for everybody else who isn't Collis McCoy, or Collis, uh, sorry, Collis Malloy, feel free to send us a. This episode was great. Email we are drunk week in review at gmail.com for all the old school listeners. You can find us pretty little loggers at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram. We are at drunk week in review on Twitter. We are at DWIR podcast and on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash drunk week in review. We are constantly updating our, uh, our story on Instagram and it gets cross posted to Facebook. 
feel free to leave us a comment, leave us a reaction. I am the one up there posting all the super controversial stuff. And Aaron and Cody are the one putting up baby photos and uh, bike trips and all the fun stuff. Uh, I'm just kidding. We all do a little bit of everything. And all complaints should be directed towards uh, the White House. Yes. Whitehouse.gov. It's a good place to go. Uh, Yeah. Senate.gov is another one to go to. Or write your rep. rep. Let us uh, let them know how much we suck. Feel free to at Marjorie Taylor Green on Twitter. I think she is unsuspended again. Uh, feel free to send v- uh, Venmo, yeah, Venmo payments to at Matt Gates so he can fund his next sexual romp through the American South. Um, and uh, make sure you sign up for Gab. I've heard they're doing great things, and it is unfiltered pro-vaccination status over there. Um, Go in there and let them know your thoughts about uh, the Pfizer vaccine being fully authorized by the FDA and, uh, you know, just share the tons and tons and tons of stories about vaccine injuries. And whatever you do, do not post any sort of spoiler alert for any MLB game because I will be murdered by JM. Yeah, don't do it. All right, y'all. Um, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, I know it's kind of touchy. A lot of our listeners have friends and family who have served in the military. All three of us that are on this podcast have either served, well, all three of us have served in some active duty capacity at one point or the other. Some of us longer than others. And we all have friends and family, too, who have served, uh, lost their lives, taken their lives. Um, that has to do with the conflict we talked about today. Uh, If you have questions, comments, concerns, or would like for us to clarify anything we said, please reach out to us and direct it to the individual who said it or reach out as a group. And we, I, I'm not above, I'm not going to walk back a statement, but I'm not above clarifying my stance and apologizing for anything I may have said that was inappropriate. Aaron, either. And on top of that, I think that we would also be willing to just talk to you, period. Absolutely. Uh, we love all of you who have continued to support this uh, podcast. We know we're not winning any podcast awards anytime soon. We know that for the 40 people, 30 people that listen a week, um, we do appreciate your continued support. Um, share it with a friend. Share the episodes that you really like. Share the episodes that you don't like but you think a friend would like. Um Reach out, say hi, tell us who's got birthdays coming up, we'll shout you out. And as for that, that'd be the end of the episode. So as we like to say here, good night, and we we love love you. you.